and over our marriages too. And Lord, this morning as we as we talk about the topic of marriage, uh, I pray, Lord, that you would um, convict us where we need to be convicted. Lord, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And Lord, that uh, the marriages that are represented in this room would be a reflection of your goodness and your grace. So God, we, we turn our attention now towards your word and we ask that you would teach us. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Let's talk about your life. You have work. You've got bills and texts and emails. You've got oil changes and groceries. You've got kids. And you got swimming lessons and football and friends and eBay. And showers and shopping and snacks. Things can get pretty crazy pretty fast. And to make things worse, your crazy life is being lived alongside other lives that are just as crazy. And before you know it, the whole house is hectic. We need help. We need help, and I hope that we've gotten some. I hope that this series has, has really been enriching. I hope that it's been challenging. I, I hope that you've been following along, and I hope that it doesn't end here today. You know, it's great to talk about these disciplines and these keys that we've been talking about, selflessness and patience and self-discipline and celebration and forgiveness and this, this morning marriage, and, and to just kind of go on our merry way down life, and, and we get all busy, and then we sort of forget about what God has been teaching us. And, and these keys are so foundational, and, and they're so important in your life and in mine, and I hope that, uh, that maybe, maybe this morning is even your first time here. You're, you're just in time for the end, and uh, maybe it will intrigue you enough to go online at our, at our website and, and listen to some of the previous, previous messages. Um, and I appreciate those who, who have been here uh, week after week, even though you knew that maybe the next week was going to be a really difficult subject and, and you might get your toes stepped on a little bit. And, uh, uh, but I, I really appreciate what I've been hearing. Uh, you know, we, we've been talking about these keys and the fact that, that, that these keys that help us have healthy lives, even in the midst of, of, of the hecticness of life, uh, that they're empowered by, by the Holy Spirit, that, that we can't... We can't just decide that, hey, I'm going to be a, a selfless person and with just the sheer will uh, of our life try and be this way. We, we will fail. Um, we, will, we will fall in a heap and we will question lots of things. Where is God? Um, am I even saved? Uh, if we don't understand that, that it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that these things are worked out in our lives. And, and this morning we actually kind of come full circle. And we're talking about marriage today. And one of the, the greatest things that is necessary for a marriage to thrive and survive is that first key, selflessness. And we're going to see that, 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 that we have this incredible illustration that God gives us in, in the Bible in regards to marriage today. Now, I know that some of you here today are single. Um, some of you are single wishing you weren't. Um, some of you are... Um, some of you are single because you have had a spouse pass away, um, and, and I, I understand that we're all in different places in life, but as Ty said earlier, there's, there's going to be lots of principles that you can gain today, even if you're not married, even if you are single. Now, if you're single, and you wish you were, and it just hasn't happened yet, uh, and and you you hear the voices of the world. You know the world says, or your friends say, "Dude, how come you're not married yet?" Or, or you know they say things like that, and and they might be well intentioned or whatever. But you know it's it, somebody saying that to some to a single person is kind of like saying to someone who's 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 grieving over the loss of a parent or a child or something. Aren't you over that yet? You know it's just it's just really insensitive. So all of us married folk, we need to recognize. That, that there is extreme value and honor in being single. In fact, uh, the Bible speaks of this very point. Paul says that it's not just okay to be single. He says it's good to be single. Um, look at this verse up on the screen. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about, Paul says, it is good for a man not to marry. It is good 
to not be married. And, and I would say that applies to women as well. It's good for a woman not to marry. Now, Paul goes on, and I didn't put this up there, but I, I want to read it to you. Paul goes on in verses 2 and 3. He says this, But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. Now, to me, what Paul is saying is, if you're not strong enough to be single and remain pure, then you need to get married. So if you're single, um, that's not only a good thing, but it's a strong position to be in. God, God honors that. As you are obedient to Him in your singleness and maintain your purity, and, and to every college, um, high school, middle school student in this room, our purity is extremely important to God. And, and we need to recognize that, and we need to live our life that way. And it's so countercultural, it isn't even funny. And, and we're going to look at the culture here in just a moment. So it, it's actually good to be single. Now, what's the last sappy love movie story you watched? Um, you know, somebody tell me, just somebody shout it out. Huh? No, the, the Notebook. Oh, man. You know, to be honest with you, I just watched that last week. I didn't bring it home, but I did watch it. That, that is a pretty... But that's, that's, that's actually... Um, yeah, that's a love story, um, but that is a great example of commitment and love and steadfastness. As he, you had to bring that one up, didn't you? No, I'm talking about things like Sleepless in Seattle... And, you know, movies like, well, it's, it's, it's you know, they, they just happen to everything, the stars align and everything's perfect and, and there's all of this great romance and it's just all sensationalized and everybody lives happily ever after, right? I mean, that, those kinds of movies is where our culture, where, where this generation that, that's kind of growing up now seems to be getting their information on what it means to be in a relationship, what it means to be married. And it's just so messed up. Um, our culture is, is going the wrong direction when it comes to marriage. Now, I also want to say this morning that the support found in the Bible for marriage defines marriage as that between a man and a woman. Uh, Tim Keller, the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, defines it this way. Based on a straightforward reading of biblical texts, we are defining marriage as a lifelong monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. According to the Bible, God devised marriage to reflect His saving love for us in Christ, to refine our character, to create stable human community, for the birth and nurture of children and to accomplish all this by bringing the complementary sexes into enduring whole life union. It needs to be said, he goes on, therefore, that this Christian vision for marriage is not something that can be realized by two people of the same sex. That is the unanimous view of the biblical authors. Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. And it is true. It is what the Bible says. And, and so that is the, the, the basic, you know, uh, definition of marriage. Now, in the last 40 years, marriage health and satisfaction, according to statistics, has been in a steady decline. Okay, marital health and satisfaction. The divorce rate is nearly twice what it was in 1960. The rate of marriage has declined as well. In 1970, 89% of all births were to married parents. But today, only 60% are. In 1960, 72% of American adults were married. And in 2008, that number is only 50. 50% of American adults are married today. And that's not because they're not in relationships. Only 50%. Now, it doesn't take statistics to prove that it's diff difficult, that, that marriage is a hard thing, that, that it takes a lot of work. But it is extremely difficult. And, and our current culture has become somewhat pessimistic when it comes to marriage. In fact, they just choose to live together and, and think, well, marriage is it's just, you know, that's just not for me. 
thinking that that's a better way to do it, but that's not God's way. So first thing I want to look at this morning is, is culture's view of marriage. Our culture's view of marriage. Currently, it isn't really that great. It's not really that positive. In fact, it's pretty negative. Uh, a girl said to her, her boyfriend, fiancé, when we get married, I want to share all your worries, troubles, and lighten your burden. The boy said, it's very kind of you, darling, but I don't have any worries or troubles. And the girl said, well, that's just because you're not married yet. You know, yes, marriage comes with, with difficulty. It's, it's hard living 24-7 with another person, another imperfect person. But, but there's this negative sense out there. I mean, there's TV show after TV show and movie after movie that when they're talking about marriage and fatherhood and motherhood, it seems like all they can do is mock to get laughter. And it's sad. Comedian Chris Rock asked it this way. He said, do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? Like those are the only two choices out there. Single and lonely or married and bored. And there's a lot of people in our culture today that think that that's the way it is. According to Tim Keller, that's why so many young couples today aim for something in the middle between marriage and mere sexual encounters. And it's this cohabitation with a sexual partner. That's what marriage in our culture today has basically been reduced to. And it's time to reclaim it. It's time to recognize how valuable it is and how much a gift this, this union that God has given us from the very beginning is. Uh, today, more than half of all people live together before getting married. 50%. In 1960, practically no one did. One quarter of all unmarried women between the ages of 25 and 39 are currently living with a partner, and by their late 30s, 60% will have done so. Our, our culture is making some assumptions to draw these conclusions and to come to live this way. First of all, they're assuming that most marriages are unhappy. They're assuming that most marriages are unhappy. I mean, if the divorce rate is 50%, then at least 50% of all the people in all of these marriages are absolutely miserable enough to call it quits and to get out. And, and they probably figure the other 50%, now they're probably miserable too. And then next they've bought into the misinformation that living together increases the success rate of marriage. Well, they say, we... We need to beat the odds, and if we're going to beat the odds, we need to live together, and we need to practice being married before we make that ultimate commitment of for the rest of our lives, right? We need to make sure that the chemistry is right. We need to kind of check things out, and, uh, you know, is there anything about this other person that is incompatible with me? Think about the person that you're married to. Yes, Right? Absolutely there's things that are a part of them that make us incompatible. But doesn't mean that we can't be married and be happy and, and enjoy life together. And in fact, um, it's actually quite the opposite. Living together increases the rate of divorce. It doesn't decrease it. There was a man who responded to a Gallup survey for the National Marriage Project, and this is what he said. Everyone I know who's gotten married quickly and failed to live together first has gotten a divorce. Everyone, he said. Everyone that I know. Well, again, that's, there's just a problem. It's not true. Statistically, it's not true. It doesn't work that way. Uh, the evidence actually shows that the very thing people think will create success for their future actually reduces the potential for a lasting marriage. The divorce rate among couples who live together first is greater than those who don't. It, it doesn't increase the success rate. In fact, it, it increases the failure rate by 25%. It, it's like over 75% of all couples who live together before they're married end in divorce. Now, I know there's probably couples in here who that, that's, that was your reality. You lived together before you were married. Now, you need to understand that I don't believe in a God of statistics. And that if we surrender our lives to Him and our relationships to Him, He will absolutely step over the top of those statistics. And we can live 
faithfully committed to one another till what we say on this stage, death do us part. And only death do us part. So they've bought into the fact that most marriages are unhappy and that living together increases the success rate. And then, have you ever heard somebody say, well, marriage is just not for me, and besides it just messes up a good friendship. Again, there's so many negative voices out there in our culture today when it comes to marriage. And this is something that God has created from the very beginning. He has ordained it. He, he's woven it into the fabric of you and of me. I overheard someone yesterday. I did a wedding here yesterday. And uh, I overheard someone say to the groom, of the wedding actually just before the wedding. We were standing out here. They, this person was late to the wedding. They come up the stairs and, and she says, uh, well, your life is over now. I, really? <laughs> she sort of backtracked after that, after he said a few things. And, um, but, but isn't that kind of the... You, you know, think of the old days, Right? Marriage is sort of referred to as the ball and chain, right? You know, um, it's this restrictive thing that... uh, Now, in first service, the more I thought about that statement, well, your life is over, um, actually, it kind of is. And and I'll talk about that in in just a little bit. But uh, our youth have given way to a new definition of marriage. And this new definition, I think, is idealistic and unrealistic. It, it can't occur. Uh, legal scholar John Witt Jr. says that the earlier, and this is, I quote, ideal of marriage as a permanent contractual union designed for the sake of mutual love, procreation, and protection is slowly giving way to a new reality of marriage as a terminal sexual contract designed for the gratification of the individual parties. In other words, Today's generation believes that this marriage union is all about me. It's all for me. It's what I can get from that other person. It's, it's what I can get out of the, this relationship. And it's reduced into a carnal, prideful, selfish, sinful idea of what marriage is. And it couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, this selfish view of marriage puts so much pressure on the other person in the relationship. It's like, it's like, you, it's like we have this idea that we're going to find the perfect person. You know, all of you college-age students up there in the balcony, yeah, I see you up there trying to hide in the nosebleed section. There's lots of seats right down here on the front row, open and empty. But, but don't, you know, I'm not going to ask you to do a raise of hands, but I'm sure some of you have this list this list of things that the other person has to be or has to have in order for us to be interested in them. Now, all of us should have just a simple list, I think. We, we should have at least one thing on that list, and that's they must be a Christian. Okay? Everything below that, seriously, is, is negotiable and, and shouldn't be held in concrete. Because, honestly... Um, if we think that there is this perfect match out there for us and we just need to find them, we think that when we find them, we're going to live happily ever after. I wonder how many of us in this room thought we found our perfect match and we thought it was just going to be as easy being married as it was to stand on this stage and say, I do, and to walk down the aisle and still like each other at the end. And now you're thinking, wow, it is so much more difficult than that. This person is not perfect. <laughs> right? Newsflash, none of us in this room are perfect. We all sin. We all make mistakes. We all make selfish choices. We're all prideful. We're all going to go through those sorts of things in our life. We just are. You're, you're going to get married to this person, and in a year or two months or ten years, you're going to go holy cow, I had no idea they were going to do this. I had no idea they were like this. I had no idea they snored so loudly in, in bed at night. You know, All of these things are things that we now we, we just work through them and we, we deal with them. They're not deal breakers. They can't be. 
There must be patience and commitment and forgiveness and selflessness and honor and on and on and on in our relationships. Contrary to popular belief, marriage is full of joy and fulfillment. It is a gift from God. It is amazing and extraordinary and incredible. But we can't expect it to always be happy times in a bowl of cherries, right? There are difficult times in marriage. It's hard work. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're engaged or you're going to be married in the next year or you think you might be and you think it's going to be a walk in the park, you need to maybe think a little bit more about what you're doing and this commitment and this decision that you're making. All right, enough about the culture's view. Let's look at God's view of marriage. God's view of marriage. Now, I, I want to see a raise of hands in here. I've been here long enough. I've done enough weddings around here. I want to see a raise of hands of how many people in this room have been to a wedding that I have done. Go, raise your hand. Okay, good. Not all of you. What I'm going to give you right now is going to be some refresher, um, some repeat. And uh, I hope that, that it is a good refresher. You see, marriage was God's idea from the very beginning. Uh, up here on the, the screen is Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 through 24. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. That's in Genesis chapter 2. Thousands of years ago. From the very beginning. So there's three things that are required for, for marriage to work. They're, and they're found in verse 24 right there. They're leaving, cleaving, and then forgiving. So let's first look at leaving. Okay, in your marriage, this is a refresher, or someday in your marriage, you are going to have to leave some things behind. And this is where when I said that, that when that person said to the groom yesterday that your life is over, it's true. Okay, the life that he knew up until that point in time is over. Being single, doing whatever he wanted to do, whenever he wanted to do, only having to worry about himself, all of those things are gone. That life is over because he has made a decision. He has made a decision to love another person. He has chosen them. So here's some things that, that, that we have to leave. Um, I just mentioned one, the luxury of doing whatever we want whenever we want to. Uh, we have to leave in our marriages, and this is a good reminder for us here this morning, we have to leave the temptation to sulk, whine, or pout when we don't get our own way. Do we have any whiners in here? Do we have any pouters in here? I don't want to see any husbands poking their wives, or Garrett, you shouldn't point to your dad like that. That's it's really not very nice. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. Those kinds of things create conflict in our marriages, don't they? Now, Lesson Leslie Parrott, uh, in, in the pre-marriage stuff that, that I teach here, uh, they talk about fighting fair, okay? Because there are going to be disagreements in our marriages, right? Um, a gentleman yesterday after the wedding told me a story. He said, uh, my parents have been married for 66 years. And he said, I asked my dad one time, I said, Dad, does the arguing ever stop? And his dad looked at him, he says, son... It, doesn't, it never stops, it just gets quieter. You know, I thought that was pretty good. You know, there's always going to be conflict. It's how we, it's how we handle the conflict, right? It's, it's what do we do with it? So, the worst thing that you could ever do in your relationship with your wife or your husband or even a co-worker or a teacher is criticize them. Okay? Criticism is bad for relationships and marriages. Complaining is good. 
Okay? If you're a complainer out there, you'd say, hey, Pastor Dave told me that complaining was good. Complaining is good. Criticism is bad. Uh, and let's take, let, let's use some, something for an example, probably something that's never happened to you. You show up to church late. You're 10 minutes late because one person, either the husband or the wife, was waiting on the other person because they weren't ready yet. Okay? And sometimes this can become a habit in a relationship. And sometimes the person that doesn't like to be late has finally had enough. And what they do, what they say to the other person is, why do you always make us late? That's a criticism. Okay? A complaint would be having coffee, you know, after the fact, some other, you know, rock situation, and saying, you know what, um, I, just, I just wanted to let you know how, how uncomfortable I am and this sort of thing when, when we show up to something late. You know, it, it, just, it just, I don't like to be late for things. That's a complaint. A criticism is, you always make us late. Now, a, a word in that criticism that we should never, ever say to a husband or a wife is always or never. How many moms or dads have heard that from their kids? You never let me go anywhere. Oh, yeah, I'll show you never let you go anywhere. Right? We can't use those words because it's, it's not true. Once in a while, sometimes, yeah, those kinds of things. Okay, the criticism is not good. In fact, Leslie Leslie Parrott, call these four things that I'm going to give you right now. This is totally out of your notes. It's, it's just find a spot on your notes to write these down. The, they call these the four horsemen of the apocalypse. <laughs> okay? There's criticism, and what happens after somebody criticizes another person is defensiveness. The other person gets defensive, and we always think that defensiveness is going to take care of the situation. If I just defend myself, then ev- you know, they'll see that I'm right and they're wrong and everything will be okay. But defensiveness always escalates the conflict. It, it never fixes it. So there's this criticism, and then there's this defensiveness, and then, and then the next move generally is the person who made the criticism they make a statement of contempt. Okay, this thing boils down to contempt. And what contempt is, is you're no longer criticizing, you know, uh, now you're telling them why. You, you don't just say, you always make us late. You say, you always make us late because you're so irresponsible. You know a criticism or you know a a contemptuous statement has been made when one of the two parties in this conversation feels about this tall. It's not healthy. It's not good. This is not how to fight fair in a marriage or in any relationship. We need to step back and we we need to realize that, that, uh, that complaining is way better than criticizing. And, and let's just talk about this. Let's just work through our feelings here. And then finally, the fourth uh, horseman of the apocalypse is stonewalling. You've been there. You've had it. I don't want to be a part of this conversation anymore. The wall goes up. You walk out of the room. You read your book. You sit in the chair. Whatever it is, however you do it. Generally, when we work through criticism, defensiveness, contempt, we end up at stonewalling and then, and then nothing, nothing happens. It's not solved. Now, if you get to a point where you're just like, wait, time out. You know, neither of us are saying anything that's really helpful here. Let's take 30 minutes, you know, do 100 push-ups or whatever. Let's, let's, let's come back and let's talk about this again. Because, you know, ultimately, we need to realize as husband and wife, we're on the same team. We're in the same foxhole. We're in the same huddle. And, and when we're not getting along, good stuff's not happening. It's, it's not good. And, 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 and we're right where Satan wants us to be, at odds with each other. So we've got to leave some things. We've got to leave the old way of living. So that's leaving. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The second uh, key to, to marriage working is cleaving. It's cleaving ultimately to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that in point three. Uh, Right now I want to talk about cleaving to one another, united as husband and wife. There is a spiritual battle. Satan doesn't want us to be happy. He doesn't want us to be living 
at peace with each other. He wants us to be at odds, and we need to recognize this, and we need to fight the spiritual battle with spiritual power and spiritual tools. We need to stay in the same foxhole, guns pointed away at the things that are trying to attack our marriage, not in separate foxholes, pointing our guns at each other, trying to establish our own way, our own ground, our own way of thinking. Bad things happen when people point guns at each other. You are on the same side as husband and wife. And this marriage that you are in is worth fighting for. It's worth fighting to the end. I believe God has established it. And when God has established it, the prayer is that no one and nothing could tear it apart or break it down. Leaving. We need to fight for and alongside one another, not against. Let's remember that. Leaving, cleaving, and then we have forgiving. Now, we spent a whole 50 minutes last week in talking about forgiveness. I want to just talk specifically about four things really quick as it relates to our marriages. Forgiving. Uh, forgiving. There's four things. The first one is forgive often. Forgive often. I mean, let's face it, we're not as perfect as we think we are. Jesus said how many times, or Peter said how many times should we forgive? Jesus said 70 times 7. Unlimited number. We need to forgive often. We need to keep the closet of things that need to be forgiven cleaned out. Don't let them slide. Don't try to shove them them under the rug and hope they're just going to go away. Get them out on the table. Let's deal with them. Let's sort them out. And let's toss them out the door in the trash can. Forgive often, forgive openly. Now, this is tough. I mean, we're prideful people, right? Nobody likes to admit. Nobody likes to be told they're wrong. And nobody likes to then admit that, yes, in fact, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Forgive often, forgive openly, forgive completely. Psalm 103, 11 and 12 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth... So great is His love for those who fear Him. I love thinking about that. And he goes on to say, As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions, our sins from us. How far is the east from the west? Long ways. In fact, I'm not sure you can get to the east from the west, can you? It's impossible. So, instead of when your spouse does something that hurts you, they say an unkind word or they snap at you because you forgot to bring home the milk or whatever, you have that hurt in your hand and you, you need to think about that hurt as, a, as, a, as a, revol- a revolver, a gun. And you could choose to point that at the other person and shoot it back at them and try and make them feel as bad as you felt when, when, when they did what they did, but we know that's not right. So we're not going to do that. But what we tend to do is we tend to take that gun and then we put it in a holster on the side of our belt. And the next time our spouse does something that hurts us and slaps another gun in our hand, we pull the other one out, right? Because now i got more firepower. Now I can really prove that you are not being nice to me or that you've done wrong to me. And we let them have it. We, we need to be like the, the mob hitman, and, and, and when we have that gun in our hand, we need to throw it in the lake and let it sink to the bottom, never to be seen again. And that's hard. But when we forgive and we forgive completely, that's what we do. We get rid of it. And in our marriages, that's extremely important. And then finally, forgive in God's strength. You cannot forgive often, openly, and completely in your own strength. It's impossible. We're too prideful. We're, we're, too, we're too selfish. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, so let's rely on Him. If we don't, we'll end up keeping score in our marriages. He did this to me. She did this to me. I did this for her. Why doesn't she do this for me? I did this for him. You know, we've got to let him go. We've got to let him go. All right. God is such an incredible gift giver, isn't he? I mean, he gave us a husband. He gave us a wife. He gives us friends. He gives us families. And then, at the end of verse 
24, it says, and they will become one flesh. And then verse 25 of Genesis 2 says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Be not ashamed. This is the last thing I want to talk about this morning when it comes to God's view of marriage. Be not ashamed. Now, there's... In our current culture today, in our current sexualized, over-sexualized culture today, sex has been put up as just one of those things that you do. You'll know when you're ready, right? Don't ever say that to a high school student. You, no. No, the Bible says that we are to remain sexually pure until we're married. And if you maintain your sexual purity, and, and I guarantee you God will give you the strength to do it, He wouldn't ask it of us if He didn't think it was possible. When you are married, when you stand on a stage and you get married and you then are naked together, there is no shame. That's where God wants you to be. He created it. It's, an, it's a wonderful thing. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're just realizing that I didn't realize that's what God said. Maybe you're here this morning and you just came to Christ a week ago or a month ago. And, and you didn't know this. Well, here's what I would say. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. So there can be a day. Now, if you repent of that life where He will purify you and from this day forward you can be in the midst of God's will when it comes to marriage one day if He has marriage for you. But here's the thing. I just... It's just amazing to me. You know, Adam and Eve. Can you, I, I said this yesterday. It, can you imagine the expression on Adam's face when he saw Eve for the first time? I mean, I think, I don't, I don't know what the Hebrew is, but it's translated, whoa, man, right? I mean, Adam saw Eve and he went, whoa, man! She is unlike anything I've ever seen before. I'm sure that's what went through his mind. It was true. And God created husband and wife and put them together. And they felt no shame. They felt no shame. And that's amazing. If you're here and you're engaged, maintain your purity. If you're in a relationship, maintain your purity. Do whatever, I'm serious, whatever it takes. If it's running from the room sometime, if it's whatever, do what it takes. You will not be sorry. You will not be sorry. All right, now let's take a look at the secrets to a heavenly marriage. Everyone turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This is the part of the message that excites me the most. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Now, when I say the secret to a heavenly marriage, I'm not talking about heavenly as in, you know, no crying, no pain, no, no sickness. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about heavenly as in the, a heavenly perspective in God's eyes. Ephesians chapter 5, let's begin reading in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of His body. For this reason, quoting Genesis chapter 2, a man will leave 
his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. I have always had trouble with this passage. It's, it's, I, I never have really been able to kind of put it together and say, well, this means this and this means this, because it's like Paul is schizophrenic. He's talking about the church, and then he's talking about marriage, and he's talking about the church, and then it's like, oh, well, yeah, and this, right? Do, have you ever felt that way? I, I use this passage at, at wedding rehearsals to, to talk about, and I, I always just kind of read through the top, and then I focus in on verse 33. Each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Love and respect, right? Important keys to a marriage. And, and I just always felt like I just don't, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't get why Paul's doing this switching back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But you know what? The secret to a heavenly marriage is actually found in the gospel. I think that's what Paul is getting at here. See, marriage is a daily God-ordained and created working out of the gospel. It's really the only way that it will work, the, the way that God created it to work. And, and like all of the other keys, it, this is empowered by Himself, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's only through the work of Christ that we can be saved. It's, it's only through the work of Christ that our marriages can be what God wants them to be. Now, look at verse, 20, uh, verse 32. Paul says, that it is a profound mystery. Marriage is a mystery sometimes, isn't it? It's like, wow, I just don't get this. It's like the, the card tricks that magicians do. It's like, I know they did it, but I have no idea how they did it. Sometimes we can think that that's the kind of mystery that Paul is talking about, but it's actually not. It's, it's the, the Greek word is mysterion, and Paul uses it in other places where he talks about the fact that this mystery, the mystery of the gospel, the, the mystery of what God has done, has been now revealed to us, and we know. We know what it means. And I think Paul is saying the same thing here. This, and it's not just a mystery. It's a profound mystery. It is a mega mystery. And I think it's mega, extraordinary, wonderful truth. And, and this is the view of marriage that we need to have. We need to recognize that marriage can be this way. And, and we can understand it and we can experience it through the power of the Holy Spirit as we understand the Gospel. So what is the secret of marriage? Well, I, I think ultimately... It's found in verse 25. What did Jesus do for us? Somebody say it. What did Jesus do for us? He died. He gave Himself up for us, didn't He? That's it. He gave Himself up. Jesus made a willful decision in heaven to, to give up His position to come down here as a man to completely surrender Himself to what needed to be done in order for us to be saved. He came down, He said, to serve, not to be served. He came down to selflessly die and go through what He needed to do. Paul describes that in, in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, uh, Jesus... Loved the church, he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless, because his blood covers all. And then he says this, in this same way, in the same way that Jesus died for the church, husbands, we are to give ourselves up for our wives. It's selfless. It's unselfish. It's, it's team thinking. It's serving, not to be served. That is what he's talking about right here. And, and I think God had this in mind from the very beginning. That's why Paul invokes uh, in verse 31 what he does straight out of Genesis. It's always been this way. This is the secret. This is the key to the mystery. This is the mystery revealed. 
And, and as we engage in our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we understand that relationship and how He has forgiven us and, and selflessly came down here and, and, and gave Himself up for us, and, and that relationship is growing and is strong, then the relationship that we have with our husband and our wife will be growing and strong too. If your relationship with God is rocky, I would venture a pretty good guess that your relationship with your husband or your wife is pretty rocky too. They, they, it's, it's almost like they run on parallel tracks. They're, they're one and the same in many ways. Just as Jesus gave himself for us husbands, let's give ourselves up for our wives. It's just amazing. The gospel of Jesus and marriage explain one another. You can understand more of what Jesus went through and gave up when you understand how difficult it is to be a spouse and to give up and and to serve selflessly in that relationship. And you can give selflessly and you can give and you can forgive and you can be forgiven as a spouse in your, in your marriage relationship as you understand and experience the incredible forgiveness and grace and mercy and power that comes from Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? I mean, I, I just think, I, I just had this incredible aha moment this, this week. It was like, of course. Of course. So when... So, so the last point in your notes this morning is the reality of our salvation becomes the reality of our marriages. So if you're, the, if you're here this morning and, and you're not sure about your salvation and you're married, let's get together and let's talk about it. Let, let me share with you what Jesus has done and let me share with you what it, what it looks like to surrender your life and to put your faith and trust in Him as your Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning and your marriage is just a wreck and you've been wondering if you can hang on, I want you to leave here today knowing that you can hang on. It is worth it. It is worth the the pain and the struggle that you're going through right now. God is on your side and He wants you to be a team again. We find mutual fulfillment through mutual sacrifice. Here's the, way, here's the way Tim Keller puts it. He says, this is the great secret. Through the gospel, we get both the power and the pattern for the journey of marriage. Through the gospel, we get both the power and the pattern for the journey of marriage. Let's not give in to our culture's ideas of what marriage is. Let's not give in to the movies and all of that garbage. Let's not give in to the pressure of our friends. What? You haven't had sex yet? You, you know, you, you're so immature. No, you're strong. You're strong. And let's recognize that this is an incredible... Marriage is an incredible gift from God. If, if I have every person in here that's married, whether it's been five years, 20 years, or 50... Has anybody in here been married more than 50 years? Dick and Ruth, how long have you guys been married? 52. Dick, were you, were you thinking about it? No, I'm just kidding. My, my wife would be the first one to say she always has to do the math. Don't ever get married in December at the end of the year because it's really kind of hard. Was it, was it 93 or 92? It, it just... Anyway... Uh, here's, here's a couple books that I, I want you to write down and maybe get if you don't have them yet. The first one is, is where I got some of the material for today's message, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller with Kathy Keller. Um, Facing the Complexities of Commitment with the Wisdom of God. I've read the first two or three chapters. I know some guys in here who have read most of the book and, and speak very highly of it. Um, if you want to you know, kind of look at some things of, of how God views marriage, which is completely countercultural. But his way, this would be a good one. And it doesn't matter how long you've been married. Um, you know, if you've been married 52 years. Dick, you've read this book, right? Just recently. So, um, and then the next one is this one. This one would be extremely challenging for you to read. It's called Sacred Marriage. And uh, it's, it's written, it was written by a guy by the name of Gary L. Thomas, if you want to use his name to look it up on uh, Christian books or whatever, if you're going to order it. Here's what his tagline is. You might not be able to read it. What if God designed marriage to make us holy 
more than to make us happy. Think about that. Marriage isn't all about happiness. I mean, that's a part of it, and it's a wonderful part of it, but it's... We are such a mirror into the life of that other person, right? I mean... And, and, and when we look in the mirror, it's like, ooh, I don't like what I'm seeing, right? And, and we, we bristle against that. But, but that's part of the process that God uses to, to make us holy. And, and this would be a great, great book and resource for you to read up. And, and uh, so let me just pray as we close. And uh, let's worship the Lord for this incredible gift of, of marriage and relationship. Lord, thank you. Uh, Father, my prayer is that, that every man and woman in this room who is who is married, Lord, that they would completely and 100% uh, surrender to You, to the good news of the Gospel, to Your power and Your Word in their life. And that as they do that, they would realize that that is going to be, uh, that is going to do amazing things in their own life, that, that their, their marriage. Lord, I, I pray that You would strengthen the, the marriages that are represented here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help those couples who maybe just kind of feel like they're on the edge of quitting and giving up. Lord, I pray that, that you would help them to see that that, that, that might be the, the easy thing to do, but it's not the best. Oh, Lord, I pray that they would seek the, the help and, and, and the counsel that they, that, that they need to, to work through whatever differences they have. And, and, and Lord, for those who are here who are not married, those who are, who are single and maybe hope to be married one day, Lord, I, I pray that, that you would... Uh, give them the strength and the power and that they would surrender to you to, to, to do this the way you created it to be. They would keep themselves pure. And, and Lord, that if they haven't to this point, that from this day forward, that would be the truth. They would surrender that to you. And Lord, I pray, I know that you bless them. And Lord, maybe there's some here who are single and, and Lord, they're 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 fine with being single. And Lord, I just thank you for I thank you for single people and I thank you for what you put in your word that, that it's good. It doesn't lower our value in life or anything like that. Oh Lord, what a what a great word today and I pray that we leave here encouraged. Pray that we leave here excited. Lord, I am you you gave yourself up for me. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to give myself up for my wife. In Jesus' name.